0: From Autosport.com and Autosport Magazine, I'm Martin Lee, and this is the Autosport Podcast. Well, it's not unheard of in motorsport, but it's certainly not common for a newly crowned world champion driver to up sticks and move to the back of the grid. But that's exactly what's happening in Formula E next year. Stoffel van Dorn will move to the Dragon Penske squad as driver's champion, and he'll be joining a team with two points to their name in the course of last season well today we'll ask how will the formula e grid look different next year why won't one of the most successful teams possibly even be on the grid and can the new gen 3 cars provide the entertainment we need to forget all about the manufacturers that have recently left the sport let's get up to speed with autosports jake Boxall leg jbl welcome back to the podcast
2: Thank you for having me. It's been a really busy few weeks. Formula E's <laughs> kind of kicked off now, even though we're in that that sort of mid-season lull. Uh, and I was talking to somebody from Formula E, and they were like, "You know, why would we put out all of our information now because we're in such a lull?" But it seems that you know, <laughs> silly season's kind of kicked off. It. There's
0: so much to get through on the podcast today, and to make sure the listeners know, you know, what's coming up and why this could be a great reboot for Formula E. But so many unanswered questions. Let's go back to a point in time, not the beginning of Formula E, but let's go back to December 2020. And the sport had done the hard yards of attracting manufacturer names, Audi, BMW, Mercedes. But then it all started to unravel. What happened with that series of announcements a couple of years ago now?
2: I think part of it was uh, slightly down to financial pressures put on by the pandemic. I think part of it was automotive manufacturers maybe considering Formula E not worthy of the investment at the time, let's say. And so it got to the point where BMW released a press release and saying we've pretty much learned everything that we can learn from our Formula E programme. And so we'll bringing it to an end at the end of the 2020-21 seasons, that is uh, season seven in Formula E speak. Audi went the same way. Both of those uh, manufacturers were were tied up with with other teams as well, so BMW was... uh Supplying works powertrains to to Andretti, uh, Audi was supplying works powertrains to. Well, was uh, apt was running the works team and Envision was running a customer supply. You know they didn't leave Andretti and Envision high and dry, but um it, it was without factory support. Mercedes also announced after its 2021 title triumph that it would also be leaving Formula E at the end of this season, just gone. So uh, Mercedes is now gone, that's out of the picture, it's won the the, the team's championship and soho van Dorn won the driver's championship but Mercedes has now gone. It was a bit of a difficult time I think for Formula E as a series it had just built up all of this momentum it was getting these manufacturers in and producing their own powertrains, and then it kind of ha- uh, it stalled out a little bit so uh, it's been a bit of a difficult time for, for everyone there to try and build that momentum back. We're getting to a point where it is
0: well, after the shock of those manufacturers leaving, slowly but surely, we got new entrants joining up. Who has stepped up to replace
2: them? Obviously, Mercedes being the one that's gone. McLaren has now come in to, to purchase the team as a going concern. Pretty much everything in terms of all of the staff and those leading the team are the same. Pretty much a continuation of the same team with all of the, the, the people that have won two championships. I mean, you wouldn't, really wouldn't want to change that. But not keeping
0: Mercedes. It's a bit like Asda buying a local Tesco's store. They've kept the store manager, but they're not not saying every little helps. They're getting rid of all of the Mercedes stuff. They're going to bring in the smart price. I don't know where I'm going with this, but uh, (laughs) but, but, but McLaren are not using Mercedes, even though they're keeping all the same people. How does that work?
2: It's kind of out of necessity because Mercedes isn't, isn't producing a Gen 3 powertrain. McLaren has to go for somebody that does. And when it came to talking to the suppliers that are, I think Nissan was the one that perhaps aligned itself with what what McLaren needed from it. It's not had a particularly good couple of years Nissan, but such a massive manufacturer and they're making these massive strides to improve their their uh, electric vehicle range. It, it's ultimately got the people on board that can make a success of it and you know as it it took a misstep through the second half of the Gen 2 era, but at the start of it it was it was so so strong, so it's a big automotive concern to have on your side for sure.
0: And who else has joined to uh, make up the numbers? No, more
2: than that, that sounds that sounds always dis- disparaging, but who else has, has joined the grid? So we've got Maserati in as well um, ending a hiatus of over 60 years uh, running a works motorsport team, in, in single seater racing at least anyway. Obviously the MC12 was uh, a hugely uh, successful sports car. Yeah, I think for the first time since 1960 it's entering a single seater world championship um, and it's done that by tying up with the team formerly known as uh, Venturi or venturi if you want to get uh, Monégasque <laughs> about this um so it's it's badging and it's putting its own people into a very very successful team uh, a team that was uh second i believe in the team's championship last year a team that eduardo mortara has excelled for in the last couple of years so it's got a fantastic team on its side and there's the return of the App team as well after leaving with audi at the end of uh, 2021 uh, it now comes back as a as a team of its own and it's taken up the Mahindra powertrains. So new teams, returning teams, taking over teams. But it's good to see these competitors come either come back or come into the championship because uh, they've got such pedigree among them.
0: Well, great for McLaren as well, entering in Mercedes place with a couple of drivers who they've not had... The best of times within the past, dispensing with their services uh, in the past in in their Formula One programme. So McLaren deciding neither Van Dorn nor Nick de Vries were required as part of their other motorsport commitments over the years. So we have a team coming in and with drivers around who not necessarily, if you cut them, would bleed McLaren. That issue we'll come back to later. But now let's talk <laughs> about DS Techita. And when I say that, uh, let's split that out. DS is the automobile name owned by Stellantis. If you want to call it the posh bit of Citroën, that would be okay as well. DS Techita, Tachita being the team, double world champions, double team champions, three driver's titles to their names. But all wasn't rosy behind the scenes in terms of the structure and the money to get them on the grid.
2: So if we go a little bit uh, back to the start of the team, in the first two years of the Formula E, the team was, uh, was Team Aguri. It was uh, almost a continuation of the Super Aguri Formula 1 team. But then, ahead of the Formula E's third season, uh, it was bought out by Seca, who is a uh, massive Chinese media company. And uh, they rebranded the team to Cheetah. Mark Preston stayed in charge. John archer came on board. With customer Renault powertrains, it was incredibly successful. DS came in at the start of season five as its uh, official uh, supplier and it became a works team. DS uh, divorcing with uh, what was then known as Virgin Racing, which is now Envision. They wanted something a little bit more flexible, something that they could have a little bit more autonomy over, but without running their own race team, let's say. And so the idea was move the team to the DS facilities in, in France, in Versailles. It went very, very well, and and Vern won a title, and and da Costa won the the season six title. The shine started to come off because Seca wasn't willing to put as much money in as it had done at the start. It had sort of like taken on this project, it had started building the team up into this title winning outfit. And I think it probably expected investors to come on board and want to be part of that title-winning team, and they weren't really materialising. Again, yeah, the, the company behind it weren't willing to put the money in. But it got to the point where the team's future was looking really, really ropey because because there wasn't that money coming in. To a degree, DS had to intervene because it didn't want to be out of the competition because it invested so heavily in its, uh, in its powertrain project, and it still wanted to be involved in Formula E. Ultimately, it didn't want to own its own team. Um, it didn't need the expense associated with that. But nonetheless, it was having to foot all of these bills and pay driver salaries, if if that's if that's correct, uh, which I believe it is. DS was having to front all of this money. And it's just it's not a situation that it wanted to be in. Um, otherwise, it would have had if it did, it would have bought the team and, and and run it itself. But that's not quite the way that it wants to go racing in Formula E. All right, well, Hang on
0: there. We'll take a quick break. When we come back, we'll talk about why it's been such a problem for Tachita in the way that they ended up working with DS that has kind of left them out in the cold, actually, and why the move for the world champion to go to the back of the grid team might not be such a bad thing after all. That's coming up. Stick around. All right, welcome back to the podcast. So the team almost operates with two quite distinct halves then. So you have DS in terms of the manufacturer, um, support and background, working and operating with a certain culture and a certain way of developing. And then when you turn up at a race weekend, you then obviously have some of those members of DS will obviously have to be there to run the team. But then you have members of the Tachita team, actually getting on and running it on a race weekend. So, you know, it is a little bit like other forms of motorsport, but it seems perhaps
2: slightly more separation of church and state yeah. than than other forms is that correct? Arguably the opposite to what the way that Nissan's gone it is operated in that model of you have the manufacturer and you have EDAM's running the team and Nissan has gone well we might as well just buy the team and run it, it ourselves so they've got they run both sides of it now but I don't think that's the way that DS have wanted to do it. I'm not 100% sure why I guess it's the that added cost involved. But unfortunately, it was put in the position where it had to over the last couple of years. So um, Thomas Chevoche, who was, uh, you know, part of DS, he then came in to run the team as a a team principal. James Roster, who was uh, tied with Stellantis and has now gone on to become Maserati's uh, F1 team principal. Uh, He was brought in as a sporting director. So you could see this sort of like blurring of lines. And I don't think it was a blurring that, that, that DS wanted to happen. Hence the two parties have since split. And then the the third
0: act, if you like, or the third part of the piece of our jigsaw, is the alliance with Dragon and Penske and DS the Manufacturer. Now, apart from a strong first two seasons, the team Dragon is not a team that, if you are the world champion, Stoffel Van Dorn, you're coming off the back of huge success, a slightly unfortunate end to a very prompt graduation into Formula One and then rebuilding a a career and a reputation and a champion in Formula E. Now, obviously still turning up at F1 weekends and still available to jump in a car if needed, but a real high point in his career, the last thing you think that would happen would he would then join the team, the Dragon team, that scored two points in all of the season we've just gone. And yes, I did check my notes before coming on. (laughs) Two points in, in Formula E. Why on earth are we talking about The literal back-of-the-grid team forming a partnership with a big name like DS and then being able to go out and hire some great drivers and also great team members. So can you explain how that dynamic works with Dragon and Penske?
2: Even though Dragon has massively underperformed let's say uh, over the last few years it's a team that has a sensible amount of backing and um, Jay Pensky has sort of run it uh, pretty much bankrolled the whole operation uh, you see some of his uh, Penske Media Corporation brands on the car like uh, Rolling Stone and, uh, and those kinds of publications uh, on the car I think that's probably the main draw is the fact that the, the Dragon Penske Autosport, as it likes to be known now, can foot this bill and it can afford to run a team. And it's not in the ch- to cheetah situation where DS is having to put money into running anything outside of its powertrain project, let's say. And although DS is able to put its own people into the team because it's got this proven pedigree of producing such strong powertrains and being one of the best teams in the last four years the fact that Van Dorn and Verne will be able to come into a team and, and, and have something that should deliver tangible success, which arguably has been Dragon's weak link over the last few years because it's decided to to go it alone with regards to powertrain production. And they've just not been very, very good. They've not been as efficiently designed as, as some of the others. Um, you'll see drivers throughout the race. You'll see the 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 dragon drivers struggling in comparison for for energy when those figures drop in the middle of a race um, and the idea was for dragon for them to partner with bosch for for gen three and, and bosch was going to produce the motors for them and that fell through so dragon needed a powertrain supplier because it wasn't going to develop its own for gen three and ds needed a team and it on from the outset it just does seem like a kind of management uh, a marriage of convenience but i think ds has the opportunity to kind of backseat drive it a little bit and um, Mm. put their own people in but without necessarily having to foot the bill of running its own team
0: and of course if we want to carry that on in terms of the marriage of convenience but first ds and tachita have to get divorced and a bit like arguing (laughs) who gets what in the DVD collection, showing my age there in the age of streaming. But unfortunately, it looks like Tachita are the ones having to move out of the house because they were based at... that DS had said, oh, no, you move in with us. It's fine. We'll get along forever. Well, actually, Tachita didn't have a place of their own. They were in DS's, as you said, in their facility, in their their environment. And now that those two aren't together where does that leave to cheetah they don't have a headquarters they don't have a driver lineup a power unit supplier uh, or a manufacturer to work with in fact so many of the team members have been taken obviously because they worked as you said this kind of weird hybrid thing with ds over to the new team they don't really have a
2: team anymore yeah what's the future there in the immediate term at least there isn't one um wow I think that every day that goes past, and there have been reports in the media that Tachita that won't be uh, racing next season, I think that's pro- probably was clear from the outset anyway. It's not been formally confirmed by Formula E or the team itself, but I think that was always the way it was going to go, because as you say, it doesn't have its own place, it doesn't have its own HQ, because it gave that up when it moved in with DS. Most of the staff were DS people at that point because, you know, DS isn't going to foot a bill and <laughs> hire people that it can't then retain. Um, and, and as you say, no powertrain supply, no drivers. Um, drivers John are probably the least of its worries. Um, yeah, exactly. There just seems to be no constituent element. So it seems pretty much impossible that the team will race next season, which is a shame because obviously as a team it has won titles i imagine their plan is to get ready for 2024 and try and do something like apps did a couple of seasons ago it looks pretty bleak at the moment let's be honest um there's not really a lot of constituent parts and the the insult to the injury is the fact that <laughs> i believe ds penske as a team is now moving into those facilities instead of so having to watch these <laughs> boxes full of stuff come in <laughs> as they stand on the pavement um waiting to i don't know go somewhere oh that's
0: <laughs> Absolutely brutal. And so, again, you know, for Van Dorn, we say moving to the back of the grid team, but of course, with a bunch of people who know how to win, alongside a, a teammate in John Eric Verne who knows how to win, with a team that's been run financially and, and fiscally differently to, to Cheetah in the way that it, it's leaving. And of course, with all of the might of DS. Parent company Stellantis that formed a little while ago from two big car companies coming together. So, you know, the might of one of the big car names in the world behind it. And of course, then he can do perhaps uh, opens up some other avenues. So it starts to make more sense why he facing McLaren coming in, facing a very uncertain future, why the back of the grid team might well be the best place to go. Other big driver names too as well, Sebastian Buemi. Buemi been loyal to the same team, whether you call it Renault or Nissan over the years as well. He's moving to Envision. So 13 wins to his name, 29 podiums and a championship as well. That's another big move that we should mention.
2: A really big statement of intent from Envision because um, they've got their the, the Jaguar powertrain supply now and um, I think that was announced very very early I think that the statement of intent from both sides is that they're going to try and work together as much as they can and Buemi has been doing some development testing with the Jaguar car so I think that's how implicitly he's trusted by both sides Um, so it is a really big statement of intent and if you consider almost Jaguar is kind of a four-car operation. You know, they've got such a good lineup of uh, Evans and Bird in the works Jags, uh, Nick Cassidy and Sebastian Bohemi in the, the Envision cars. You know, those are four fantastic drivers, so I think it really works wonders for them. And after losing Robin Freins to Apt, who uh, he partners Nico Muller there, which is another great lineup, you know, they needed the best option available. And I spoke to Buemi in Korea at the end of last season, he's disappointed with how the last two seasons with Nissan have gone. He's, he's 33 years old now. He's, he's at his peak and uh, he doesn't want to be, as he said, being made to be happy with P5 or P6. He wants to go out and win races and he's still got the hunger and he's still got the passion. You know, Um, he's just not really had the opportunity to share it in the last few years. And I think it's just for him, it's, an opportunity to prove that he's not lost it, and I think that's the the key thing for both sides is that they keep that, that keep that hunger and determination.
0: Well, after Christmas and New Year in that lull, uh, motorsport fans will have lots to get excited about as Formula E goes racing in Mexico in January. Also in January, the double race in Saudi Arabia. Off to India, South Africa, Brazil, uh, Germany in April for a double race there in Berlin, and then uh, Monaco in May. Uh, Jakarta in June. A couple of TBCs on the calendar, but finishing off in July with two races apiece in Italy and in, in the UK. Now, it is the 2022 2023 season formulary insist on that even though all the races are next year but (laughs) there will be cars on track in 2022 so we'll give them that when's the next time that you will get up and close and personal with these new teams with new drivers and the gen 3 car
2: for the very first time so that's going to be pre-season testing at the time tested uh, venue of uh, the Ric- circuit Ricardo Tormo in Valencia. Um mm-hmm. it's always quite gr- cool going there because you can see pretty much the whole track from the press box so you can sit and observe and and, and just watch and take everything in. So I'm really looking forward to seeing how these cars do how they look uh how these drivers get to to grips with them um it, it's gonna be it's gonna be a fun few days for sure on the the subject of the calendar as well as we do have those TVCs we're sadly losing soul from the calendar because of uh, repairs happening at the uh sports village where the race was. Was held, uh, which is a massive shame because I was there for the first time this year, and it was just the most amazing city that you can go to. It was so different to anything else I've experienced before, being sort of like dropped in and <laughs> at night and seeing all of these big neon lights and that kind of thing. It was so cool. So we are waiting on word from from what might replace that. They are looking for other venues in in South Korea, but I don't know how likely that will be. And they're pretty adamant that they want to race in North America as well. Uh, Mexico is currently the sole North American representative and they want something in the US uh, because New York won't be able to happen this year for uh, refurbishment reasons as well at the uh, Brooklyn Ferry Terminal. So hopefully they'll get a US race. We wait and see. And we can't... We can't wait uh, until it's
0: back, and we're looking forward to uh, to watching these Gen 3 cars. So much more powerful and, s- and really interesting technology to learn about as well. Couldn't the great thing about Formula E is you do get to learn about the technology. So we have a motor on the front axle uh, now, and no physical, mechanical brakes on a race car, which I think is going to be a uh, challenge, uh, just to get right technically, um, and you know, if there's no fan boost next year, that wouldn't be the end of the world, if you ask me. That would, I wouldn't miss it. And so, uh, slightly, uh, maybe slightly more pure, if I can be all purist and and, and snotty about it. But I think um, we'll, we'll wait and see some some fantastic racing in terms of the Gen Three cars.
2: is finally, anything that you're particularly looking forward to to seeing on those um i i am looking forward to seeing how these drivers contend with the no the no rear brakes because that's going to be a, such a different thing to get used to but i think all of these teams have so much kind of license when it comes to software and that kind of thing that they'll be able to they'll be able to get their heads around it for sure I, i'm looking forward to how they do mm. see how they do i've spoken to a couple of drivers who have tested them already they're really excited about them very very quick cars um a lot lighter than the gen 2 car a little quite small as well so all of the sort of complaints about Formula One having massive cars and it being really, really difficult to overtake, I mean, give Formula E a go. I mean, you've got these little cars that should be a lot faster than they used to be and all of these drivers should be able to have a a really, really good go uh, at fighting on track. So I'm really looking forward to seeing how that does. Obviously, Fan Boost is sort of spoken about a lot. It doesn't actually make that much difference anyway. So I don't think anyone will miss it. A lot to look forward to for sure. I think it's going to be really really cool racing but I think for Formula E as well it's such an important rule set so can't wait to see how it does we look forward to Following your coverage
0: uh, just a week before Christmas, uh, middle of December, uh, when they are testing and we see those cars on track. JBL, thank you for joining us on the podcast today. Stay tuned. I've got our Formula One coverage this weekend of the United States Grand Prix in Austin. Next week on the podcast as well, we'll find out about our rally man, Tom, and what it's like to become a co-driver for a day in a Rally One car. And we'll look at W Series and ask why it's so important that in some way that series doesn't. Uh, get forgotten about as it had to cancel the end of the year. Those are podcasts for next week. Thank you for listening. We'll see you soon.